And we're back for another week of fun and frivolity at Kent and the Steering Team. As always, we're joined by myself, Drew, my dear, dear friends, Philip, Bianca, and Sarah. Unfortunately, Kent couldn't be here today. He is still trying to untangle himself out of a big ball of tinsel. Anyway, on with the show. How are we, team? Not so bad. Well, you know what they say about tinsel. It's not just for decoration. That is very true. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why, but when you opened this episode, I thought you were going to start singing Celine Dion and um, My Heart Will Go On, like the big belt number, and I don't know why. Now it's stuck in my head. I'd sing it in such a low register, though. Yeah, look, hey, this show is going to be a good one. We're actually going to be talking about a Christmas movie. That Christmas movie, which we didn't reveal to you last week, is actually a movie that is very near and dear to Sarah's heart. Sarah, you're going to announce the name to us, aren't you? The Polar Express. The Polar Bear Express. No, you did Polar not Express. sound enthusiastic. <laughs> Polar Express. Yeah. Um, yes, we're going to talk about the Polar Express. It's the, the one of two movies for this year's Christmas Bonanza of uh, Cat Street, and um, yeah, we'll also resume normal services with another segment um, after our commercial break a little bit later on, um, which will all be all about a um, a demo that's been released for the PlayStation Five and Xbox Series X or whatever. Um, it's yep. called uh, to do with Matrix and the un- Unreal uh, uh, Engine. Uh, Unre- Unreal Engine Five. The Matrix Awakens. An Unreal Engine Five experience. Indeed. Um, to be exact. Yes, we will talk about that a little bit later on. But um, we shall begin, though, team. Yes. With a movie all about the night before Christmas. Um, and all through the house. And all well, through the house. Well, it wasn't through the house. Well. Look- and all through the carriage. Look, at one point through the house, there all wasn't through, a sound. All across the world. Well, there wasn't even a mouse. But anyway. Um, I wouldn't know I slept through most of it. That's true. Bianca oh. uh, slept through. Okay. Before we get to the thing, these two went to see Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Um, last, bom, bom, bom. last night at the time of recording. So that was the morning of the 16th of um December. We saw the midnight session, so Mi- yes, I've yes. essentially had two hours sleep this morning. <sighs> Last night, I like I slept from five till eight p.m. yesterday, and then I slept from five till eight a.m. this morning. And I don't function well without sleep. We all know this. Yes. Yep, she's fallen asleep on the show before, but she fell asleep during the movie. But that's okay. We woke her up several times throughout. Anyway, you let's get Thank to yourself. it. The movie for this week. Polar Express Drew. <coughs> Not Polar Express Drew. The Polar Express, comma, Drew. <laughs> on Christmas Eve, a young boy embarks on a magical adventure to the North Pole on the Polar Express while learning about friendship, bravery, and the spirit of Christmas. Um, I didn't have a look at the cast list at the end of the movie, but was there one name on there? Was it just Tom Hanks and that's it? He plays six characters. Out of... What? Six. Seven characters. You played yes. six out of seven. Hold on. So the father. Dad. Hero boy. Who's hero boy? The, the main kid. kid. He, yes, it is him playing the motion capture. Yes. Josh Hutchison does bits to fill in additional, but it's Tom Hanks doing the majority of the kids acting. Why would. Okay. So plays the father, plays hero boy. The conductor. Why doesn't the kid have a name? I just realized. 
Now this is the, what you're talking about it like as, um, in Tenet. Remember the guy doesn't have his name is protagonist. Oh Ugh. no! Okay. No, this movie the the two lead characters besides the conductor are named Hero Boy and Hero Girl. Yeah. Who's the other hero boy? I don't know, but Google says it's the guy that the, the spy kid films. He's a really weird looking He's guy. the voice. He's the voice. Tom Hanks is the voice. No, no Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks is the, is the motion capture. And Josh Hutchison did other parts of the motion capture. No, oh, ignore me. Um, so, hero well, boy. Billy probably heard you. The father, the conductor, the yeah, hobo, Scrooge, and Santa. Who's Scrooge? The puppet of Ebenezer Scrooge. Who was pulling the puppet strings? The hobo. The so hobo. does that count? But he does a separate voice as Scrooge. But he was he was the the hobo conducting the puppet. Well, the credits count it. That's silly. Because Philip, essentially, mm-hmm. if you were conducting the puppet, you are voice. the voice of the puppet. It's but like, if it's you're like voicing it, you... If you're ventri- ventriloquist, you wouldn't be... It wouldn't be like, um, oh my God, what actor did your voice puppet? You'd be like, it was you that did the voice. Yeah. The guy that holding the puppet that did the voice. No, I don't count that. He ca- he played five. We knew it was the hobo who pulled the strings. I, as a kid, when this movie came out, I thought it was Tom Hanks that did the, voices, the voice of the kid too. Because I thought that it was... If Tom Hanks played the kid, I thought he played the kid. And I was like, wow, how'd they? I thought it was like South Park. You know how Trey Parker does Carmen, uh, Cartman's voice? <laughs> Carmen's, Carmen's voice. voice. <laughs> Cartman's voice. But I've seen the, the documentary about them making it, and he just puts his normal voice on, and then they like twist it to make it sound like that in the booth in post. So I thought it was that kind of thing, where he, Tom Hanks did the kid's voice, and they just edited, edited it after. This is a slight stray of topic but south park voices um you know oh fuck what's his name kyle's younger brother ike yeah ike you know that it's um they get like the daughter his daughter the cutest thing and like his nieces and nephews over the years depending who's actually three years old so cute and hearing them go do the french fry pizza French fry is my favorite little bit of. I, there's a show. there's a backstage thing of him with his daughter. I think it's Trey Parker with his daughter, going, "Okay, now say fuck you," and she's going, and she's giggling, and she's like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's so cute. Oh, bless. And he's like, "Yeah," and he's like hugging her, and it's so cute. I'm like, I love oh, this. I love it. Imagine <laughs> making a child swear, <laughs> oh, exploiting a child. No, it's brilliant. Um. Back to Polar Express. Sorry. Yes. Um, this was the first time I watched this movie and the first time Bianca watched bits of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a movie that Sarah loves very much. Sarah, why do you like this movie? I have a very basic answer. I just watched it as a kid and loved it. But that's all you need to say. Again, it's the spirit of Christmas, am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you watch it at Christmas time or like in like November? Yeah, this was oh, like June. Back in day, we could get the um, like the not blockbuster. It was like a knockoff blockbuster. Cross the road, ran out to go get a film. Stormy cold night. <laughs> it wasn't. It was just a normal English night. <laughs> and we got Polar <laughs> Express, and that was Sorry, it. Stormy cold, you know the usual. Yeah, it was wonderful. Very nostalgic. Well, that's good. That's, that's that, cute. That is very nice. And um, look, I uh, I appreciate you showing us this movie and and um and all that or, or making us not making us watch it but but offering <laughs> it up for selection 
offering it up for selection um, because it is a movie that I'd kind of always wanted to see. I didn't know Drew. Drew's very kindly put some notes together for us, but I didn't know it actually um, it listed in the 2006 Guinness Book of World Records as the first all-digital capture film where all acted parts were done in digital capture. Correct. Mocap. Yeah. Brilliant. I didn't know that. Which is now second nature for film, but this was the first one. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I was definitely surprised by it. Um, I didn't know that, and I definitely didn't know that that the whole thing was done like that. I thought there would have been like almost Pixar, where they just uh, animated it get a to little look bit of like reference. That. That. I yeah. I wonder why they didn't just film it and then. Why well, I think that too. Heavily CGI. Uh, because Robert Zemeckis claimed that to shoot the movie in live action would not have been financially possible. He estimated that the cost of shooting it in live action would have been close to a billion dollars. To achieve the same thing. I don't think so. No idea. What the hell was he He thought He thought all the effects and everything to shoot that in live action would have had a budget of close to a billion dollars to be able to do it. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't just, think so either. Can you just put like a Photoshop like filter over it and that suddenly looks like a cartoon? <laughs> no, you know yes. what I mean? I know what you mean, but no. You That's couldn't? funny though. Not to that extent. It would well, not look... But also, how would they have done the parts where they... You know the, those 4D roller coaster things? Like this one has a massive scene like that. I think if that was done in live action, I would hate to see that train... Um, yeah, look, uh, it, first time seeing it, I was, uh, again, I learned the word Uncanny Valley from Drew about <laughs> three months ago now on this very show. In fact, he in fact mentioned it without even realizing it was a mind boggling thing for me because I'd never heard of it. Um, and I've never heard of it many times since. Um, <laughs> but yeah, look, I, I, this does have a lot of Uncanny Valley. Yeah. When I was reading about Uncanny Valley, because we were, I can't remember why, uh, I looked it up and I looked it up in regards to this film because I'd heard about this film having Uncanny Valley. It's actually one of the main things that's referenced. If you go and look up the Wikipedia page for Uncanny Valley, this film takes like, you know, pride of place right in the center of it. You know, smack bang, that's all about, yeah, no Polo Express, absolutely Uncanny Valley. So I, I um, and I know what they mean. It is a little bit unsettling, but also... Everyone feels like they're really mean in this movie. Yeah, I didn't get that. There's there's elements where it feels very dark, and I feel like that's attributed more to the book than anything else. So it is based on a novel by author Chris Van Allsburg, who also did the illustrations for the book. He is also the author of Jumanji and Zathura, well, both cool. of which also have rather dark elements to them as well 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 it's it but it's not so much that it was i mean dark dark elements to it isn't the issue it's that i always thought we we're about to be told off by tom hank any of told tom hanks's characters i thought they were all about to have a go at the kids same um, with steve tyler's character the same with the elves i thought that the elves like were the elves. sound like even if they were being nice they sound like they were being assholes i felt like santa again a tom hanks character i thought he was about to have a serious go at them and in fact be pissed off at the kid um 
Yeah, I thought that all the adults in the movie were going to have a go at the kid for some reason. I just felt it's a little menacing, like the way. Yeah, the way they are, and I I know that it's them being stern, but it does come across a little bit menacing. Yeah, it's but it's and if I liken it to Jumanji, it's the same kind of. Even though the father in the end has a good relationship with um, Peter, Peter, his name. Yeah, yeah, Peter, Peter, um, Peter. What's the kid's name? Isn't it Alan? Alan. 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 Why did I say Peter? I think it was Spider Man. Actually, that's why I said Peter. Um, <laughs> it's true. That's why it's like Peter. 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 Alan. Peter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Peter. Yeah. Hunger Games. Um, Alan. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, Alan. Um, the dad. Even though in the end they have a nice relationship, Alan. His dad still seems a bit like a dick to him. Same with um, the hunter in Jumanji. He's. Not, but see, no, but he's more just an asshole because he's the the scary character. This one, it felt like even the nice people were about to be mean. Yeah, so menacing. No, you're right. This is menacing. But but it was cool anyway. I appreciated the effects of it all. Um, I appreciated the. Um, I like the sound design of the train. I liked the ice scene. Um, yeah, I thought it was a cool movie. Very cool. First time I'd seen it. It was stressful though. Very stressful. I- I didn't. I didn't enjoy the lack of character descriptions. I guess, like the fact that the engineers came out of nowhere and then we never saw them again. Because it was magic. Because they didn't exist until it was relevant. I think also because you fell asleep. Did did they show up again? No, 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 no. But I mean, they were very flat, two dimensional kind of characters. Yeah, but the way the way in which they they come and go, I don't think it's completely devoid of explanation I think that it has to move at a brisk pace yeah but there's never really an explanation of what the fuck is going on or what the fuck the kid is thinking I guess it's a kids movie so I shouldn't really expect that in-depth analysis of this is why we're doing this I, know, I find um but what and why did he stop believing in Santa to begin with because his dad, oh, because his parents. No, are- but no, his parents were explaining to his sister. His sister was complaining because his sister was like. No, Bianca, but this is it. The very next scene was him lying there awake in bed and then his parents open the door. So he rolls over pretending he's asleep and his parents walk in and go, do you reckon he's asleep? To which I think his father or something says, no, he always stays up all night um, and pretends he's asleep. So to make sure that he can see Santa. Oh, if only he knew that Santa wasn't real. Um, and then walked over and they said goodnight and kissed the kid on the forehead. It's like, why would you say that if you know that he's not asleep? But the way, what I Lunacy. thought happened was he tried to explain to his younger sister that Santa wasn't real. And she was upset and asking her parents about it. No, she was just staying up all night downstairs as well. And was told, go to bed or Santa won't come. And they took her to bed and said goodnight. And they closed the door and everything. And he had the Santa hat in his back pocket because... He was pretending to be Santa and everything like that. But then the daughter sprung him because she was down there and went, go to bed. You have to go to bed or Santa won't come kind of thing. And then they come into the parent, his room. And again, knowing he stayed up all night. I didn't fall asleep said, for that part and I was still confused. Well, it's okay. Um, yeah, but but look, all in all, I thought that the movie was... was I, I thought it was a nice movie. I think that, that I, was, I was frightened of the stressy feeling. Um, I was frightened of the mean characters, what came across as mean characters, but by the end it was a really sweet sort of story, and uh, that little boy was really adorable too. Um, Billy. 
Was he Billy? Billy. Not the annoying shit. No, not the one that... The not, one that not I... Not the one that talks like me. The one that... The other one. ...was in the back <laughs> carriage and he didn't want to go... Yeah, they're really worrying how well you did that. Yeah, it's because I have a nasally voice. I, the one with the gumboots. Oh, I liked the little Sarah. girl who saved the co- hot cocoa for him. Cocoa? Oh, yeah, the, the girl that brought the cocoa. Yeah. Oh, and you mentioned a really, really good part about the animation as well. Um, about the fact that... So, the... the oh, coffee, yeah, the, no, the, the hot chocolate scene, hot cocoa scene... She hides um, a cup underneath her chair mm. and then you see the room from a different angle where um, the, the controller mm. or the ticket man, whatever, he's just like dancing and singing and walking through. Mm. And it's even the briefest of scenes, but in that scene you can see that the hot cocoa or chocolate is still underneath yeah, the, the cam- chair. The camera's panned up in the centre at the back of the carriage and you still see down. yeah and you can still see it which a lot of animations will like just skip that doesn't forget matter. it or like you know it's not but the attention to detail here is quite minute yeah and it, I think maybe it does have something to do with the fact that it was filmed because mm. they would have had um, the props prop. mm. no, not just props con- continuity people on it yeah you know what As I mean? As opposed to an animation team where it's like, well, we didn't see that scene yesterday. Because, yeah. yeah, some animation teams, even though they do have continuity people, by the time they pick up that stuff, mm. it's too far in production to do anything. And you're like, well. Sarah Moon, if you had to pick out a favorite sequence or scene from this movie, what would you say? Oh. Um, oh, I don't know. I'm going to ruin the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have one. I like it all. But so so you like it when they, so you like it when they get to um, the North Pole more than the train spa, uh, stuff, or do you like it when they get to um, okay. the big yeah, celebration? Well, I don't really have a favorite scene, but I like the fact that people such as yourself thought the whole thing was just a train ride. Alas, it's not. There's a whole second half to the film, and then they go back on the train. It's almost like the movie called The Polar Express. I thought the movie would be about the Polar Express, but it turns out it's not. But the Philip, what was your favourite scene? Favourite scene, probably. It's a good question. I'm processing it because it was the first time I'd watched this movie. But um, let's go with. Actually, I liked the. I didn't like the elves in any way. They were all a bit creepy and gross. But I liked the part with the. Um, when they, they were bringing out the bells and they were all cheering and chanting every single time they rose, um, they put the bells above their head. I liked when they did the, you know, like the, the bells would be above their head, the crowd would cheer, they'd bring it down and the kid was like, I can't hear it. I can't hear that. I can't hear what's going on. Couldn't hear the bells. And then the song that was playing, I can't remember what was playing, got slowed right down and everything went into slow motion yep. as a bell flicked off the um, sled and came, or the chain and flew into the crowd towards him and he couldn't hear anything and then he whispered I believe I believe I believe well 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 no um and then suddenly the the <laughs> thing started went, you know what I'm talking just then <laughs> no, it's a song <laughs> anyway he rattled the thing and then the bell went off it was brilliant I thought it was cool Bianco um I liked the screaming caribou because I sent it to my brother and he <laughs> sent me funny gifts back so that was entertaining <laughs> I, nice. my brother and I like screaming animals <laughs> Mostly goats, but the caribou worked. The carnets are the best. <laughs> Drew, favorite sequence or scene? Uh, favorite sequence is the wait, when the train goes super fast on the track mm-hmm. and they just have that vertical drop. 
and all three of them are on the front of the engine. Mm. Uh, again, the drop. I can imagine that in IMAX and in 3D making my stomach drop like a... yeah. Favourite moment, though, falls under the trivia. Yes, it does. Drew, do you want to tell us that trivia scene, in fact? Because there's two elements of this that are, I'm sure, your favourite in terms of trivia. The key one is that when our two young leads are in the train engine hero boy pulls the whistle and goes i've wanted to do that my whole life which is a direct quote actually just a a complete recreation of doc brown in back to the future part three Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's my favorite back to the future but anyway continue understandable what did you say i love back to the future three Maybe that should be what we do. Um, soon. I know it's arguably the worst one out of all of them. I don't think there's. I don't think there's. A you know how you gave ten out of tens for all the Hunger Games? Yeah. If we did Back to the Future, that would be mine. Number two is probably my favorite. I ju- I just enjoyed the campiness of the the the, the old West. They asked Michael where he wanted to go for a third film, and he said the old West. They um, they were going to go anywhere he asked. I'm glad they did. I, I would say number two, because I, that's that's the one that... It was the one that Channel 10 played the most. Yeah, actually it was. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was once but, a month. But I, what yep. I appreciated about it was the, the, the tie-in to the first... I feel like those two kind of paralleled each other, one and two, closer yep. than what three did. And I appreciated that number two being a completely separate kind of entity... Yeah, being what it was, I thought that was sensational. Actually, um, now that you say that, I often get the plot points for one and two mixed up. What yeah, because they revisit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, they, I like that. Though. They revisit it in the second one. Now, the reason we are talking about Back to the Future here is because, of course, both Back to the Future and The Polar Express are made by Robert Zemeckis, who also happened to make another great film, Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. And Forrest. there's another tie in with there that. is a scene in the polar express where the ticket goes on a little flutter journey a little flutter which parallels oh. the feather scene from forest gump yes indeed there that is only just clicked to me yeah but there is then also another back to the future reference in this movie i don't know if anyone um of course there is it. Mm-hmm. so in the uh, chaotic moment where the um, where the engineers are scrambling to repair the engine on the scrambling. train, they lose the pin. And in amongst the chaos, okay. if you look in the background, you can see a fully functioning flux capacitor, yep. which hints at the fact that the Polar Express could well be just like that train in Back to the Future 3. A fully functioning time machine. Exactly. Um, and of course, yeah, uh, we mentioned it before, but Josh Hutchison did some of the mocap um, for this. Peter. Peter we actually, There was actually some clever reasons, not just beyond Sarah suggesting this movie that we uh, do that just because we're tying it into the Hunger Games. <laughs> Lucky. No. Uh, purely coincidental. It's a bit like how Felix carried over from Bond into um, Hunger Games this carried into and that episode where we just talked about pedro pascal which we didn't intend oh yeah that was a great episode i can remember that it was like called pedro pascal episode i um watched wonder woman the other day and i was just Mm. every time he popped up on the screen i just remember that episode. but it could be better (laughs) goodness yeah uh yeah uh is there any other stats here bits and pieces we want to get to before we get to our 
scores. I super liked also the the scene where he's on top of the train. Yeah, and no, I didn't like that because I didn't like the homeless guy because I thought he was scary. No, 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 not the homeless guy part. Even though I was stressed out about what, like I was like, why get the girl the ticket back? Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why were you gonna get the girl the ticket back and like thing? But that whole thing of him going up on the train and just the way that the sound died out when he mm. saw the light, mm. and I kind of really liked that part i thought it was interesting yeah yeah no totally totally um shall we get to our scores drew do you want to lead us off here for scores please yeah i know mine uh nine and nine 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 quite, is sarah have quite a simple moment yep. yep do you think you know through so a technical score and a personal score technical so how do you think this film did technically to you i don't know what you mean by technical Okay, push logo next and you can see how I go. Okay, so I'm going to give this film personally uh, six and a half, seven. I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven because Sarah just glanced at me then. Um, seven, <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was stressful. Um, I thought it was, as Sarah said, all things worked out in the end. But, but at the time, I thought it was stressful. The ticket scene, for example, the homeless guy, um, the conductor being mean... Um, the weird sounding kid them not being near everyone else and being stuck with those creepy elves um, in the bag of presents um, the kid getting pulled down into the bag all that sort of stuff stressful um, I thought that again I I kind of got like not weird vibes but I just I found it unsettling how I expected everyone to be kind of mean um, or everyone came across as mean um, but visually it's a beautiful movie it's beautiful beautiful sound design um, it's so well d- done I love the main theme to the movie I feel like I've heard that more than uh, more than just in not just in this film but I mean I feel like I've heard it used in other places because it's such a well it's such a, a nice piece of music um, yeah so that absolutely gets a seven then for me um, personally technically I'll give it a nine it's again it's stunning stunning movie uh, so well done mm. um the, for its time it's it's fantastically well done and the animation that's uh, goes with it is, is i appreciate the camera work because it's yeah. one thing to be able to make those movements in an animated film but the fact that the camera really was moving that way and they just animated over it correct that and that's that's a sensational thing i mean i saw it then um applied in games you know uncharted and all that they, they, they've done a fantastic job with mocap with that so um yeah seeing it used in this application is fantastic mm. sarah um your scores personal and technical personal nine just because i really like it and it's the sentimental thing um technical i don't know i don't really have a technical score i just would you match it then same score yeah nine out of ten so you like drew so nine and nine to bianca I'm going to give it a nine on technical and I feel like that's easy. And the only reason why it drops the point is because it does have a lot of uncanny valley in it. And yep. that kind of throws me on occasion because I can't figure out. So for people who don't know, uncanny valley is when something looks so realistic, you can't figure out if it's real or not. And that was throwing me a lot. And because, yes, I kept falling asleep. That was interrupting my dreams. and It was really weird. Especially also the fact that there is a moment in there that has live action. Is there? Is it with the kids? The yeah, the I thought so. The children on the TV screens. and it, That's extra it weird. It makes it really unsettling. And this came out in 04. 
Two years later, Happy Feet did the same thing and it threw everyone off. See, but here's the thing. I think, and I know which scene you're talking about in Happy Feet. Yeah, I don't. I think in Happy Feet, it worked out a bit better. It does. Because even the humans in Happy Feet, sorry, no, because the the, the penguins in Happy Feet are so obviously animated. They're not, yeah. they're not, they don't look like real penguins. They look like cartoon penguins. Yeah. And then when the humans show up and they've got like real human feet and like they're humans, it's kind of for me in that moment was that like suspension of belief where you think that this is this is a real life thing, but we're seeing it through the eyes of a cartoon. Like Mm. it didn't bother me so much, but this because it had so much uncanny valley going throughout the whole movie. When you go and hit that scene where it kind of to me looked like tiny children trapped in jail cells i don't know why <laughs> no especially with the crackling of the screen yeah i just i didn't really appreciate the and un- the tone of the elves being a bit off and a bit bit witchy the elves I just thought. reminded me of like really creepy pedo guys which was weird cuz i didn't appreciate that it was the nasally sort of voice yeah um so 9 out of 10 for technical cuz it was pretty great yeah. like visually but again, Uncanny Valley. Then, for what I saw of it, and I didn't actually miss much. I think I missed part of the end of the train scene. Mm-hmm. Like when they arrived in the town. And then I fell asleep while they were... That when the train got detached, they didn't get off the train. Mm-hmm. And I woke up when they ended up in that little room with the TV. And then I missed all the elf stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. I, th- I think I'd give it a seven. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Well played. Um, well, that was our first of two Christmas movies for this year. We've got another one next week. We um, do indeed. Yes, we'll uh, reveal the title of then. Yeah, exactly, because we don't actually know. Um, but do, do join us after the break when we come back with um, The, the Matrix, Matrix Awakens. It's beginning to look a lot like you forgot your Christmas shopping. Well, that's where we come in. Last Minute Gifts is here to rescue you. We have everything for everyone and then some. So hop online and get ordering. There's still time to get that perfect gift. Last Minute Gifts. It's LMG for you and me. And we're back, and in typical Cat Street style, we decided to shake things around a little bit and leave a few things to the last minute. So, of course, while we were on that little break, we went ahead and downloaded the Matrix demo, mm-hmm. and then had a crack at playing it, or rather, Phil had a crack at playing it. Yes. But, before we get into his thoughts on it, we'll just run through what this is exactly. So... The Matrix Awakens is a tech demo to showcase the capabilities of Unreal Engine 5. Now, for those of you unaware, Unreal Engine 5 is basically the fifth generation of a gaming engine used to used basically as a base to build video games from. Yep. It's quite a common one. Um Phil, For- you would know a lot more on that front. Fortnite makes it. Uh, look at yeah, yeah uh, it it's a more kind of. I don't know if it's free, but it's a more um, open source kind of 
because um, games use a game engine to create it. So, um, you know, like, for example, some of my favorite racing games use an engine called Ego um, by a company called Codemasters. Um, I can't remember the one that, that Rockstar uses. I know that EA um, uses Frostbite for a lot of their things. Um, you know, it, game companies have like a source material, a base material based kind of um code it's what keeps the when you're making a video game you actually have to input the physics of the world yeah yeah so that's like a core package is the game engine and they develop graphics and style and all that sort of stuff around this base thing um you know it's almost like having a set of rules you build your game around the set of rules that you're like a programming language Yeah. yeah exactly so um yeah, yeah, this is um, Unreal Engine 5 is just another one of those. There was another tech demo using Unreal Engine 5 um, uh, earlier this year, in fact, um, demonstrating the the, the um, shadow and lighting effects possible on Unreal Engine 5. Mm. Um, th- and that was, looks stunning and fantastic. What was that? It was just a walkthrough thing. It, there was no gameplay. It was literally just oh, okay. an animated walkthrough of like a, a, almost like a tomb or like a someone in... in in Jordan, what's the, the 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 thing in Jordan? I can't remember. Um, you know the wall thing in the middle of that little. Oh, crevice. I know what you're talking about the 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 cave kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, it was in it was in Indiana Jones. I can't remember what it's called. Um, yeah, but basically, this is just a walkthrough demonstrating lighting um, possibilities or capabilities on next generation consoles and PC gaming, and and we got that. It looked absolutely stunning, and so we we definitely got a good insight into it with this. I would say the official description for the matrix awakens says it is a free boundary pushing cinematic and real time tech demo that will offer a glimpse into the future of interactive storytelling and entertainment. And I think that's pretty spot on given that as Phil was playing it, Mm. Bianca actually had to go, wait, are you playing now? Yeah, there was, there was, because the way they did it was it started off as it looked like an ad. Yeah, it was an explanation. Yeah. 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 And then it goes into this part where, you know, I, I liked the little skit about marketing people. Mm. Um, mm. As a marketing person, I found that funny. Um, and <laughs> then, opposed, I guess in the world of the Matrix, as opposed to it being the creators, it's the marketers. Yeah, the marketers. The marketers are the evil dudes. Stay um, the hell away from marketing. Yeah, and then they, <laughs> they, they launched that chick... She came out of nowhere and she just jumped in the car and then mm. Neo jumped out the window. And after that, I was like, I thought it was still a movie, but then you were playing mm. and I was like, what's with the circles? And you're like, I'm trying to aim. like, you got, you got, it was, you were playing and it was weird. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't weird. And like, I got used to it. And once I realized, once I realized that it was a video game at that point, it wasn't a movie. I could see the video game. Correct, but it's but it's that blurred line between reality and, video, I mean, uncanny valley because it you know, the fact that you could, the fact that we were paying attention to the fact that it was a video game, almost made it more um, uncanny valley because we kept try, I kept trying to see I kept trying to, my mind kept being like it's real no it's not no no it's absolutely not it's not real it's not real it's fake, is it just them. Is everything else real? Everything's fake. No, everything's fake. 
Philip, everything's fake. And I kept trying to have this almost, you know, discussion or you argument You start fighting with, with yourself, especially yes. after what we see at the very beginning with a digital Keanu Reeves. That yeah. And, and Bianca when, goes, why is he walking like that? It's, he's not real. He's not real. There had to be something in there to go, yeah, this isn't... Mm. Well, when you were um, flying around, because you can fly, mm. it's a first-person camera perspective, fly. but you can fly around. When you were flying around, the only thing that kept reminding me that the city wasn't real was watching the traffic, because programming There's gaps traffic... Gaps Everything was flowing. Is Yeah. Programming traffic is the hardest thing they can do in get video games, because they have to keep it flowing so people who are driving mm. through it, like characters won't keep smashing into everything and they won't yeah, be stuck to be at some, there has to be some logic and intelligence to traffic I remember talking I uh, watched an interview about the, the creators of, um, or with the creators of Grand Theft Auto and they were talking about traffic is the hardest thing to do because how do they react in situations someone shoots they just drive off do they wait in traffic do they wait for a pedestrian what 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 dictates what traffic is the hardest thing for them to work out in that entire game and that's where it was interesting here because it allowed you to toggle the AI system for the traffic and you could see how they were approaching yeah. handling a mass AI for moving vehicles. Mm. I, I feel like the fact that it was autonomous the way it was had everything to do with the fact that it was the Matrix. Where, yeah. where in the Matrix, that is what happens. When, when you have a big car chase with explosions and that, that is out of the ordinary because being the simulation, even when you watch the films, mm. you know, everything just runs smooth as silk. They did pick a really good concept to try this on. Yeah. Because like, it Matrix, is the Matrix. Always, it gets away with yeah. flaws. Well, but it's also that the Matrix is, you know... Stilted. A Well, the Matrix is a not a video game-like world, but it is a, you know... A it, it is a created simulation. Yes. And this is almost perfect. Mm. Again, like, you had to look for the flaws. And, and once you... It was weird, because once I found the flaws, the Uncanny Valley disappeared. Like, I was like, yep, no, that's clearly a CGI actress. Yes. Like, that's not a... Thing. Yeah, I think I think the tell for me playing it, the physics of driving weren't fully there. You could tell, but um, uh, but it gets a, a easy pass for, for for that. I mean, it, when you think it about uses the, the of it. well, it used the base function of Unreal Engine's driving yeah. capacity. Like they they did nothing to enhance what Unreal Engine already offers for driving. Yeah, so you can see that that's not necessarily the number one priority there. But what I do find interesting is that in such a big open world that there are over 38,000 drivable vehicles that you can choose well, from si in that. The, the size of this map, Bianca, I mean, I thought that, that for a tech demo for the map to be the size that it was um, based on the scale that it was, can you imagine a, uh, Can you imagine this is an open world game? Like I, Drew, Drew I would like to that. just walk around it later. Like, just walk all the yep. way in mm. every street to see. Is there any floor here? Well, it's not necessarily just picking out the flaws. It's also seeing... The uniqueness, the details. Yeah, the unique yeah. details. Because it doesn't look like anything's you'll, repeated too much. You'll spend hours. I, I know that I've already had about half a dozen goes with it over a good few hours. 
and the majority of my time I've actually spent flying and flying up to the tallest buildings and just looking in through all the windows to see all the detail in the offices, the apartments, seeing how they redress the rooms. You mentioned um, Spider-Man, the PS5 game. Yeah. One thing about Spider-Man that I, I noticed recently when I was playing... There's not many repeats in the humans. No, in the not. NPCs. Yeah, there are a few NPC repeats. Is that down to random generation, or is that down to someone actually modeling each and every person? I don't know. Mm. Um, but you you do get the repeats every now and then. But it's not often. But it's not as often as in. Yeah. You know, I know most of the characters, and I know most of the NPCs in GTA. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, look, the, the reason I asked that is, and I think I had this kind of thought process when first seeing Spider-Man on the PS5 at Drew's place, Bianca, was um, my thought kind of turned to the idea that, okay, let's say that something is incredibly brilliant and visually spectacular as this tech demo, for example. Let's say that yeah. becomes the norm of games. Does it come come a point where there's just not the physical man hours to or human hours to do that to create that like what, what do you mean by that but, but okay so so you know how let's say every apartment let, let's say so in this one you can see that there most of the building is unviewable just it's just a render just like a an image kind of thing like a stock image kind of thing is the window still looks fantastic and detailed but nonetheless it's just a flat image um no doubt certain ap- apartments or offices you can see inside and see into when it comes to a point where the refinement of or, or the way to kind of um, obscure what is reality and what is video game, make it more a simulation, would mean that every single one of those apartments becomes... Because I think we're reaching the limit of... Um, I, I you, thought you decorate each of those apartments individually and stuff? And the man hours to do each and every one of those. So so my point, my point was, if I looked at Spider-Man, I thought it was the ceiling of um on ps5 the ceiling of animated Hmm. you know capabilities i've been proven wrong with this tech demo (laughs) but let's say then this is the ceiling of what is capable next step is refining and adding detail so again every apartment is visible or detailed is there not enough would that not take too many hours to actually release this thing you'd be planning this thing for years well, I, I would think that to an extent some of those would be randomly generated, like you said. If you yep. got an AI to learn how to build an apartment, yep. you could technically... Leave it to do its thing. Le- yeah, leave it to do its thing. Yep. Alternatively, you could build enough apartments that even if there are repeats, it's not As very obvious. But actually, if you think about that, what you've just said... Mm. Um, You and I both are massive fans of Last of Us. Mm. Think about how extensive some of those Mm. sets are. Like, think about the hotel set from uh, the first part one. Mm -hmm. Um, You can go into each of those rooms on, like, two different levels. And for a very long time, you can go all the way back to the beginning. Mm. Like, and there's about, I don't know. 20 odd rooms in there yeah just on one level yeah you can go through each of them and, and they, they're each 3. different yeah so the fact yeah then that, that's playstation 3 it's not the same thing like it's not 
all of the buildings but what computers can do nowadays like i think of photoshop the fact Mm. that you know 10 odd years ago when i wanted to remove someone from a photoshop picture i had to do it all manually now Mm. i can just like drop and drag the area press a button and it'll remove them and it'll predict what the background is behind it it's a it's amazing what you ai and what prediction can do and in those cases i would assume that's how they'd get it done like they would they and and it would still be each individual rooms like last of us yeah yeah but again if we consider how long they were working on that game and then let's follow up i mean they're working on it for just forever so but that's my fear is that does it get to a stage where i mean obviously you're right machine I, learning i think it is would yeah. probably take control of a little bit of that and, and allow a little bit more effort to be focused in other areas but still it comes a point where i do think that forever. once you reach the technology stage it's the it's the making of that technology that takes the longest once you have the technology think, think about again pixar um yeah. Each of their movies in the beginning was just a how to do this. Think about um, uh, what's the very famous Finding Finding Nemo. Mm -hmm. So Finding Nemo was just took so long because they were trying to figure out the, uh, you know, how would you film underwater? Like, what would it look like? What would the parameters be? And, you know, the weightlessness Mm. and all that. That took them a couple of good years to figure out. But once they figured it out... The easy parts, the actual doing it. Yeah. How many movies did they then use the underwater and how water light reflects and all that? They used all those same things in heaps of other shows after that. Yeah. I think of um, then, I guess, by that logic, you think of A Bug's Life with the water droplets when it's Mm. raining there. And then think of the rain in Toy Story 4. It looks photorealistic in Toy Story 4, but it's still a Pixar movie. Yeah, like so. So once you've developed the technology, that's the hard part. Yeah. Um, and then the rest, the timelines will shrink down once you have it. Yeah. I find it fascinating how we're discussing this, and I'm just thinking about the subject matter. And Matrix. Yeah, it's, it's that the whole thing. thing about the machines. I, again, that's what I was like. They've picked. They've picked the perfect. <laughs> Yeah. They've picked the f- perfect subject to display this on because the Matrix is about creating a realistic enough world that we can't tell that we are in a, you know, simulation kind of thing. So, I have some interesting facts about this little demo. The city is 4.138 kilometers wide and 4.968 kilometers long, which makes it slightly larger than the size of downtown Los Angeles. Stunning. The city surface itself is 15.79 square kilometers. The city perimeter is 14.519 kilometers long. There are 260 kilometers of roads in this city. There are 512 kilometers of sidewalk in there. There are 1,248 intersections, 45,073 parked cars, of which 38,146 are drivable and destructible there are 17,000 simulated traffic vehicles on the road that are destructible there are 7,000 buildings 27,848 lampposts on the side streets only 12,422 sewer holes almost 10 million unique and duplicated assets that were created to make the city 
the entire world is lit by only the sun, sky, and emissive materials on meshes. No light sources were placed for the tens of thousands of street lights and headlights. In night mode, nearly all lighting comes from the millions of emissive building windows. There are 35,000 simulated metahuman pedestrians. And the average polygon count is seven... What is it? 7,000k buildings made up of thousands of assets. And each asset could be up to millions of polygons. So we have several billions of polygons to make up just the buildings of the city. This is... It's, a lot of it is like just the 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 look how amazing technology is now yeah yeah <laughs> and i and we were experiencing this earlier because when we were setting up for the video of polar explorer express i used my old laptop to attach it to the tv and and it was so slow and you hadn't noticed un, until you got the new one and I, I yeah i haven't it, i used it all the time and it didn't really bother me before but then i my new one, I just press one button and I'm logged in and everything's turned on in like, like less than 14, a second. 14 different things and at the, the same time. And the guy explained that the processor of my old computer was like a shitty Toyota Corolla compared to a Ferrari. And it t- you can tell. And the processor of the PS5 is what allows this yeah. Unreal Engine. Well, again, you were talking about development of technology. You know, there's that old kind of... Um, that the favorite kind of thing of technology buffs saying that the, the the computing power that was used to get man on the moon is less than in a sim card of a modern mobile phone like that's that's the difference in in technology power or computing power um you're seeing in video games now think about your favorite think about remember remember as a child seeing your favorite video game and being blown away by the effects or the the animation in that yeah blown away by it and then think about maybe a sequel to that or an iteration or even this um, tech demo that we saw. Let me let me say, for example, Grand Theft Auto 3 blew me away with the animations in that. I go and play Grand Theft Auto 5 or even this, an open world driving based kind of game. It's just, it, it just shocks me. Tomb Raider for me. Hmm. I remember with when... The triangles. Not the triangle that. tits, the one right after the triangle tits. Okay. Um, <laughs> triangle tits. I love that that's a thing. Yeah, no, no, no not triangle tits. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> it's triangle it was tits. the game after that. Like okay. The one after that. Yeah. Which was such an improvement from triangle tits. Like, she actually looked like. Yeah. Semi human. Semi human in that yeah. one. Yeah. And but still, her ponytail she didn't was have like a box one, head like, anymore. But her ponytail was still like three polygons kind of thing. But yep. yeah, yeah, kind of. But like, I remember, and if I think back to playing that game, mm. even now today, I actually think it's a lot clearer and mm. a lot more like realistic than it actually is. Like if I go, I, I've gone back and watched yeah. videos on it and yeah. I'm like, fuck, that's boxy. And that's like pixelated yeah. And, and in your mind, you're like, Sims. no, it can't, it can't be like that. In your mind, though. Same with Sims. Mm. Like I used to play Sims Two. Yeah. And I thought that was so realistic. Yeah. And Sims Four is arguably more cartoonish. Um. Mm. Than realistic, but oh my god, is it better? Like, but they probably had to do that. They probably had to go away from the realism of it just out of fear of people losing themselves in a game. Well, no, I think they did not out of fear of people losing themselves. 
Um, I don't. We should probably do a Sims episode one week. That Sims would be three. Awesome. Sims three was so powerful. Mm. The amount of tiny, minute changes you could make mm. on these faces. It was more pixelated than Sims four. Mm. But the amount of detail you could go into in creating a character, mm. you could, you had three different levels to change hair color and the hair color was all completely customizable. Mm. Like you could pick any hair color in the spectrum of color. You could pick yeah. hair, any hair, any skin color, any eye color. Yeah. So it wasn't even just that no two Sims were the same. It was that no two Sims around the world were the same. You and I could make the exact same person and we could do it different ways and have different things. That's awesome. Um, But it was so powerful that it slowed down everyone's computer and that's why The Mm. Sims 3 has the least amount of expansion packs and the least amount of life. Mm. And the other thing that Sims 3 had, which none of the other games had, so I, because I, I, mo- I mostly build and I, I mm. build, I make, ha- I make families and then I build and then I just don't play. Yeah, yeah. So the playing part never affected me, but a lot of people couldn't play the game because when you, you know how like when you go into The Sims, mm. you just play in one lot. Yeah. Normally. Yeah. The yeah. Sims Three was completely open world. You weren't in one lot. You weren't trapped to one lot. You could do whatever you wanted to when you wanted to do it, where you wanted to do you, it. The, when you went to another lot, mm. you could unlock it. Yeah. But your lot was still open. Yeah. And it didn't have like a loading screen or anything. You just unlocked it and you'd be on that lot. And everyone on that lot, everyone in that, like mm. in that city, because they had different cities, but mm. it, you couldn't play all the cities at once, but you could play one city at a time as an open yeah. world everyone in that city would be doing something and aging and having their own stories in their background and it just it crashed everyone's computer it was way too ahead of its time mm. and i think that if sims 3 came out now i don't even think came out now came out next so if they made sims 5 a combination of sims 4 where <laughs> my chair just went nuts yes. um, if they made Sims 5 a combination of Sims 4 where it was like the the absolute amazing realism because the houses are really mm. realistic in Sims 4 mm. if they did more realism in Sims 5 with the customizations of Sims 3 and the open worldness of Sims 3 I think a lot of computers could handle it nowadays yeah yeah. But but again, let's let's see because we we seem to then get to the point where we start to outdo the capabilities of computers now with things that blow our mind. I mean, again, I I kind of can't wait for you know our, our children's generation growing up or their teenage years and the the things that will be out then. I would like to think that I would won't be I will be, but I'd like to think I won't be left behind and I'll be able to marvel and, have, and be blown away. They by have they one have. terabyte stick USBs, man. That That's staggers so me. crazy. Do you remember, I had like a 256 gigabyte um, hard drive back in the day. And it was that massive clunky thing that you had to plug in. It was 256 gigabytes. That's not much. And you had to plug it into not just the computer, but into the wall to power it. Yeah. 
yeah. I, well, I remember. I can still remember the first time I ever heard the the word terabyte, and that was during the 2005 Australian Grand Prix. They were doing like a tech explanation or something, and they said um, the computing power that Formula One teams use to develop things or technology is one terabyte of information and that's like a entire server room Mm. of data and i was like wow imagine that a terabyte no like a terabyte is one thousand gigabytes and i was like a thousand gigabytes like my god my memory card or my um usb card at the uh, sorry my usb thing at the time my usb was worth about 12 megabytes or something like that don't you miss when when you were at school and they issued you with a 1.44 three and a half inch floppy and a floppy disk plastic case i thought they were fantastic i actually really like floppy disks i did something about them but the point being that the technology has come so far where a terabyte was a room and now a terabyte is a usb i actually remember now that you said that Hmm. in year seven 2005 yeah 2005 we had to do an assignment and we all had to hand in our own floppy disks yeah and, and I, had I, think, the, I had a plastic um yep. case that it, that lived inside yeah i had a pink one i had a, a, like an aqua one and the sad thing was those plastic cases came out just at the end of a year at, at the floppy mm. disks lifetime and it's like oh for god's sake we just got all these like cool cases and stuff for them and then they started doing them for cds as well the individual yeah plastic the little plastic case. things yeah Yep. I still got a couple floating around. Yeah, uh, there was a I. brief moment in pe- time when people thought burning files onto CDs was going to be the new thing, and then USBs happened. And I, I remember it was when the thing for a while. It was well, I don't think it was still that not, long. It was still floppy, and then it was floppy, floppy disks, and then it yeah, it went CD for just a little bit. Then suddenly it was because it wasn't USB. that long after floppy disks went out mm. that CD burners. Stop! Like computers stopped having inbuilt CD burners. I remember a friend at school had all these funny videos that he had downloaded on his computer, and he burnt them to a disc for me. Not as a DVD or anything, just burnt them to disc so that I could then have them on my computer. I still got the disc somewhere because I'm about it. I remember when I learned how to burn my own DVDs with a menu and I could design the menu. Back in Nero, they had a menu designer in that. that. I still didn't know how to do that. I I used to go nuts and I used to collect all the photos of everyone in the family because I just wanted to make different menus all the time. So Mm. I I made... I was a weirdo. But I think I made like 10 different CD DVDs for like everyone in the family and I'd just give it to them. And mm. like, it was just random photos. And I'd be like, go watch it. And it was just because I wanted to show them, look, I made this menu. <laughs> so stupid. We're going to have to do a whole episode on this. Yeah. UX. But one terabyte. Oh, sorry. This is where I was originally going this, with this. One terabyte when when the hard drives first came out was like yeah. a grand. Yep. Yeah. No, it was as much nothing. as a computer. Yep. I can get a one terabyte hard drive now for like 200 bucks. Yeah. 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 Look, technology's come a long way. If we think of this tech demo, it's it's ridiculous. The fact it's a pl- playable tech demo when it, the last tech demo we had for this exact same And it was engine. 25 gig. Yeah. And again, this tech demo was um, unplayable early in the year. Not this exact one, but the same, yeah, yeah. same engine was unplayable. Now there's a playable one. Yeah. Staggering. Um, technology's come a long way. Um and so is this episode. Uh, we will, though, go to our What the Quote and come back with our second of the week and wrap it up from there. 
And now it's time for What the Quote. Of course, last week's quote was... Failure is the condiment that gives success its flavour. And that is obviously by Truman Capote. Yes, indeed it is. Now, Bianca, what is this week's quote? Introduce a little anarchy. Upset the established order and everything becomes chaos. I'm an agent of chaos. Oh, and you know the thing about chaos? It's fair. Of course, if you know what that quote is from, make sure you reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or any of the other socials. Anyway, back to the show. And now it's time for Sick End of the Week. I almost said what the quote. I know, I noticed. <laughs> yes, um, we are back with our Sick End of the Week, and the vote is fairly unanimous. Yep. It is Epic Games. Exactly. So the creators of that um, Matrix uh, experience um, is uh, Unreal Engine, who are owned by, well, that is from Epic Games. Um, You may know them from such things as Fortnite or Rocket League. Um, Yeah, but uh, it's, it's them because, I mean, man, they're, they're... they are very public with their um, demonstrations and, and mm. uh, their, their show of technology and, and what, what is the potential or, or what could be possible in the future. Um, and really, this thing was mind-boggling and we're going to be talking about it for weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, it's it's the yardstick at the moment for what we expect games to be. Obviously, this is hyper um, detail and everything and, and I don't expect games to be able to live up to this level of detail at the moment, but... Imagine it. I imagine. Oh. Well, imagine. Imagine. Imagine um, The Last of Us, which was supposed to be an open world game, the second one, instead they went for that dog shit. Or if they imagine remastered if they went for that. Skyrim like this. Well, if they, imagine them oh. doing an open world Lord of the Rings game like this. Imagine them oh. doing an open world game. Again, there is a Bond game coming. Imagine it to this level of detail. It'd be yeah. phenomenal. So, yeah, I, I, I would love to see lots of games. Imagine them doing a Matrix game based on this. Purely. Or Resident Evil. Oh, Resident Evil would be so frightening. I think we'd... uh, I think it would be... be (laughs) You know that game that I really want to finish playing with you? The suspense game? The journalist game? Outlast? Outlast. I think it would be like Outlast Well, well, during the last um, Resident Evil game I played was Resident Evil 7. Oh, 7. 7. Evil, I think it was called. No, it was just Resident Evil 7. Yeah. What's it called? I can't remember what it's called. But um, we played that. That's the terrifying one that's oh. made us jump like idiots. It's terrifying. Absolutely that terrifying. That was so scary. Yeah, yeah uh, but definitely um, Epic Games, you are this week's sick end of the week for such an incredible um, showcase. Yeah, I, absolutely. They yep. are sick end of the week. Um, team, that brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Miss Moon. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, everyone. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, that's us for this week. Yep. Yep.